What are we to be like as Jesus' disciples out in the world? How should we act? How should we interact? What should the shape of our lives be when others look at us? Well, in the Sermon on the Mount, following a series of blessings, Jesus makes two quick declarative statements that told the disciples then, and that tell us also now, quite simply, who we are. We are salt. We are light. These simple statements pack a punch, and today on Groundwork, we will explore what this should look like for us, so stay tuned. Welcome to Groundwork, where we dig into Scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Daryl Delaney. And I'm Scott Jose. And Daryl, this is now our second program of a planned six-part series on Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, as we find it in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. We covered very quickly all of the Beatitudes from Matthew 5 uh, in the first episode of this series. So now uh, we're going to move on to what comes next, and it's just four short verses. And the verses read as follows. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You are salt. You are light. And Daryl, as we said in the intro uh, to this program, Jesus isn't suggesting this, right? He isn't, he isn't telling the disciples to become this. He isn't giving tips on how to be salty or how to be bright. He said, you are this. This is what you are. Uh, and then the implication is, well, now you have to act like it. Probably was a bit of a shock to the disciples. They probably didn't mostly feel like salt or light, especially this early in their time of following Jesus. And yet that's what Jesus says. And so it leads naturally to the question, well, how am I salty in the world? How am I light? Well, it's beautiful because these are declarative statements that are of their identity in the Father and in the family of God. They're not based on performance. You don't have to attain to this. You don't have to aspire to this. But this is actually your being. This is who you are. Therefore, you must live a certain way based on who you are. And the world that we live in, and I'm sure part of the world they lived in, is that they thought that if they attained a certain status, that would make them someone, that would give them value. But Christ is saying they have a value before that, but then out of that value, they live a certain way. Exactly. So in this uh, first part of this program, uh, we're going to focus on the salt image, and then we'll pick up on the light in the second part of this uh, program, Daryl. But salt, or some of us learned in chemistry class from the periodic table of elements, NaCl, sodium chloride. Um, Daryl, it's the only mineral that uh, we human beings can take directly from the earth and eat. All other minerals and vitamins and stuff need refinement and so forth. Salt, you can take it right, right and eat it. We die without it. Too much salt isn't good, but sure. no salt and you're dead. So we would die without it. Food would be very bland without it. And so really, uh, salt has been important all through history. Uh, cultures used to exchange salt as money. Some of the earliest roads were built to transport salt. Some of the earliest taxis were levied on salt. Whole military campaigns were launched to secure salt. Salt all through history has been pretty important. It's interesting to me that 
if you take those two elements apart, sodium and chlorine, they're both deadly until you put them together and right. it becomes something that you can't live without, which is interesting. Um, I do also think that because you what you said about wars and about uh, these things that were being built to trade salt and use it as a form of currency, I think that's where the saying, know your weight in salt comes from. Right, yeah. You have to be worth your weight in salt. And it's really interesting that those things will stick out. They have very distinct qualities and I think you're going to get into that it's important that Jesus uses this and he's he doesn't make a mistake when he uses salt intentionally and let's break down why I mean you know in a sense Jesus is getting at something that's very very important but very very basic in fact I I watch a lot of these competition cooking shows on TV Daryl Food <laughs> Network and the like and I have seen it again and again where really talented chefs get thrown off the program they lose the competition because of one of two things. They totally forgot to add salt to their dish or they added way too much. And they might be incredible chefs who can cook some of the best food in the world, but you mess up the salt, you're done. Uh, it's that basic. You know, it's just that basic. But Jesus says something odd here that we, we needed to explore real quickly. He says, but if salt loses its saltiness, what good is it? We don't really understand that when we think of a, a can of Morton salt in our kitchen. But Jesus uh, was referring to something that people in his day did know about. We have a salt in a pretty pure form because right. we got machines and we got manufacturing and all those other things. But Jesus knew and the people that he was talking to knew that there are other minerals and other things involved in the salt that actually could contaminate the flavor of the salt. And if you just let it sit, then you're probably going to get some sedentary things that are happening in the salt that will not allow the pure flavor of the salt shine through. And these minerals can be seen as contaminants. They could be harmful. Yeah. So if you didn't use your salt and it got wet, you know, it got wet in the dew overnight or you spilled some water on it, the salt part would wash away and then you'd be left with these minerals that you couldn't eat. You just had to literally throw them out the window. And that's what Jesus meant. But you have to use salt for it to be useful. If you're a cook, you can't serve food and then people say, oh, this is kind of flat. <laughs> Didn't you have any salt? You say, yeah, it's salt. It's right next to the stove. Did you use it? No, but it was is there. It's like, you got to use it. You got to mix it in. And I think that's what Jesus is saying here, Daryl. We have to, if we are the salt of the earth, we as disciples need to get out into society and mix in to bring out life's true flavor and beauty. It's a beautiful world God made. Help people savor it, Jesus is saying. Witness in the world to how God made life beautiful. And that's how you can be the salt of the earth. I think the trick is to mix, but not lose your saltiness. Exactly. And that, and that is something that, you know, a lot of Christians and a lot of believers over history have struggled with. Is it too much salt? Is it not enough salt? Where in that uh, equation do I actually find myself? And how do I live as salt in this world? That's one of the challenges that we've been answering and challenged with for years. Richard Mao, a former president of Fuller Theological Seminary, he wrote years ago that when we think of ourselves as Christians and the world, we think we have to go into the world only in the prophetic mode. In other words, condemning the world, saying, here's what's wrong, here's what's sinful, you know. But Mao says, if we're going to be the salt of the earth, we have to embrace also our priestly role, which brings God and people together. 
And being the salt of the earth means getting out of the salt shaker, getting out into the world, and bringing out life's beauty. Serving people by showing them the, the true beauty of God's designs for living, because when you live the way God wants you to live, life is a beautiful thing, and it leads to flourishing and to delight. And that's the flavor that we have been called to be in this world. But salt is only one part of what we want to talk about. We're in the next moment, we're going to talk about being light. So stay tuned. What does it look like to honor and serve God in your marriage and family? Visit FamilyFire.com to discover how you can better live out your faith in the context of your relationships. At FamilyFire.com, you'll find articles and devotions curated to encourage you to stoke the Holy Spirit's flame in your home. You'll also find an online community that can help you explore what it means to follow the Holy Spirit's lead in your family as a spouse, parent, or even an in-law. Join the community and be encouraged at FamilyFire.com. I'm Scott Jose, along with Gerald Delaney, and you're listening to Groundwork in this second program of a six-part series on Jesus' Sermon on the Mount from Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Today we are in Matthew 5. Daryl, we just looked at the image of salt, but Jesus has another image. In verse 14, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. It's really interesting to see that Matthew is picking up on this light image that you pretty much can see in a lot of places in Scripture, even defining the very character of God being light. It's not a surprise to a lot of people. I looked up the word light on the uh, Bible gateway and found out that the word light occurs in all 66 books of the Bible, uh, and it occurs a lot in some of them, and it begins in Genesis 1. Light is the first thing God made. Even before he made the sun yes. or the stars, he just made light, let there be light. And that's the beginning of it. And light goes all through Scripture as a positive thing, and it's always generally, uh, opposed to darkness. Right. And it doesn't matter what culture or civilization or era of history you lived in, people have perennially been afraid of the dark, right? We're afraid of things that go bump in the night. We're afraid of crimes committed under the cover of darkness. Or right. Star Wars, the dark side of the force, uh, the valley of the shadow of death in Psalm 23, things that only the shadow knows, you know, all these scary programs and right. movies. Darkness is threatening. That's why God created light first. And actually, this becomes important also in the New Testament. John picks this up in chapter one, the character of light. It's like a retelling of Genesis in a different way. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So we love the light. We need the light. We feel safer in the light. Jesus is the light. And now in Matthew 5, he tells the disciples, and you are the light too. So if you are in me, then I, who am the light of the world, shine through you. The main thing Jesus says, of course, when he starts to talk about this is, obviously, What's the sense of having a light if all you do is cover it up, <laughs> right? I mean, there's no sense. Why would you turn on a lamp 
in in a room right today, we'd say you flip the switch, turn on the lamp, and then what would sense would it be to take a dark blanket and cover the lamp? That doesn't make any sense at all. Why turn it on in the first place? Light exists to shine. It's our character. It's who we are and what we're made to do. And the actual practice of us living into shining, there will always be a temptation to dampen the light or dim the light. I would say turn the wattage down in Mm. the lights. The spirit of compromise will always be testing us. But it's our true witness to the gospel and to who we are as Christians to let our light shine in the way that we have been called to. Just give me a new image, a spiritual dimmer switch. Don't turn down the dimmer, Jesus says. Keep it on bright. And one of the main things that Jesus says, uh, Daryl, interesting enough, is we want the light to shine. We want other people in the world to see the light of Jesus in us. Yep. But Jesus goes on to say, what's one of the big things that's going to happen when you do that? People can see your good deeds. And maybe when they see you doing good in the light that comes from me through you, they'll give glory to God, the Father in heaven. A light is not designed for you to look at the light and say, what an amazing light. The light is designed to illuminate so that you can see what you're really supposed to be looking at. And if we do the works that we're called to do and let our light shine, it's not people are not supposed to look at us and say, wow, look at that person. They're supposed to say, look at that person's heavenly father who gave them the ability to get that light shining. So if we are who we say we are and we shine as we're called to shine, the attention will not go to us. It will go to the father because that's who we're illuminating when we walk like he walked, when we talk like he talked, when we demonstrate the love that he demonstrated. That's exactly what we're called to do. We said in the first part of the program that if you're going to be the salt of the earth, you can't stay in the salt shaker. You got to get out. You got to mix in with the world uh, and bring out its savor and beauty. Same thing with the light. Can't keep a light hidden, Jesus says. It's got to get out there. And when it does, uh, people see uh, your good deeds. And Jesus doesn't define good deeds here. And of course, we know we're not saved by our works, but we're not saved without them either. Because when you get saved by grace, you get saved, but then you get transformed. And so you're going to act differently. And Jesus doesn't define it. But I think, uh, Daryl, it's pretty obvious. And you just said it. I think uh, you alluded to it. What are our good works? It's whenever we act like Jesus, right? Whenever we reach out to the outcast, to the marginalized, to the people that even some of the religious people shunned and sent away, right? Uh, Be merciful, be kind, be gracious, be loving as Jesus was. And we can go deeper into the New Testament, bear the fruit of the Spirit, gentleness, kindness, goodness, self-control, peace, love, joy, patience, all of it. Um, These are the good deeds that we want people to see so they can glorify God in heaven. And the good deeds are not self-seeking. The good deeds are not attention drawing. The good deeds are actually emanating from a light that we are. Mm. And we don't do them to earn good graces with God. We don't do them to be look spiritually pious to others. We do them because that's our character. And the character of Christ that is actually being put on display in us. And that is why we do good deeds. And it's a difference between uh, saved by grace through faith in Ephesians and also James where it says that, hey, faith without works is dead. There's a difference there. And one is before salvation and one is after. And we thank God that he gives us the ability to do good deeds out of gratitude for what he has already done for us. And so we don't need to earn our status because that's who we are, the light and the salt. And that's what shines from us or uh, to go to that 
classic summary from uh, the prophecy of Micah in the Old Testament. Uh, how does the light of God, that first light of creation, the light of Jesus, that is the life of all people, as you read uh, a bit ago from John 1, uh, what is it? Micah said it. It's to seek justice love mercy, mm-hmm. walk humbly with our God. This gets back to the Beatitudes we looked at in the previous program in this right. series. Blessed are the merciful, right? Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who seek righteousness. That's what it is. That is what it is to let the light of God shine through us so that others can see that and become more interested in God and give glory to God. But as we get ready to close out the program, uh, let's think a little bit more about how to be salt and light, as well as some of the tendencies or temptations we might face that might make us lose our saltiness or hide our light after all. So let's think about that. Stay tuned. We're glad you've joined our Groundwork Conversation. If you're enjoying today's discussion and want to download or listen again, you can find the audio podcast and transcript for this episode on our website, groundworkonline.com. Want to dig deeper? You can also find episode guides and blogs available to supplement your study. Curious about another episode or series we've mentioned? Search our episode library to find hundreds of conversations about God's Word and what it means for God's people today. Add your voice to our Groundwork conversation by visiting groundworkonline.com. And thank you. Support from listeners like you makes Groundwork possible. You're listening to Groundwork, where we're digging into Scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Daryl Delaney. And I'm Scott Jose. And Daryl, as we've said on this episode so far, for salt to be of use, it has to be used. It has to get out of its container into the world where it can help bring out life's true flavors and joys and beauties. And as the light of the world, uh, we need to let Jesus shine through us, even uh, by the Spirit of God, as we do those good works uh, in imitation of Jesus that others can see and give glory to God. But before we think a little bit more about how that can happen, Daryl, maybe we could think about some things that tempt us to prevent us from being the salt and the light Jesus wants us to be. Well, we know that being the salt and the light are our identity Mm. in Christ, and it's always going to be a temptation to go against our identity. And if we try that, it will be actually extremely difficult to maintain going contrary to the character that God is actually trying to display in us. And there have been Christians for thousands of years who have wrestled with where are we in the culture. There's a book by Richard Debor called Of Christ and Culture Mm. that talks about different ways that Christians Christians over the years have interacted with creation and with culture. And it's interesting to see that there could be extremes there, but this is tricky way. The way that actually we're called to, it can be tricky, but it can also be achievable with God's help. How can you be in the world, but not of the world? How can you participate in society, hold down a job, shop, work, go to entertainment venues, travel, do the things that non-Christians do too? And yet don't do them as though you weren't a Christian, right? So how can you be in the world and not of the world? And it's such a a difficult prospect. It's such a difficult balancing act that we know, Daryl, that in church history, some have just opted to hide from the world. Uh, they've withdrawn. They've they've disengaged culture almost 100%. They've just completely withdrawn. That's one extreme. I suppose the other extreme would be Christians who give so little thought to how it is to be distinctly Christian while you work or shop or go to the entertainment venues, that there's no difference between Christian person A and non-Christian B. There's just, you can't tell them apart. That's a problem too. 
We just need to remember the fact that Jesus said in his priestly prayer in John 17 that he's not taking them out of the world, Mm. but he's teaching them how to navigate in the world. And in those two ditches that you talked about earlier, those two extremes, the fact that culture isn't going anywhere is something that challenges us to think carefully about how we might navigate it. I could tell you I don't believe in Halloween and close my door and turn my light off, but it's not like Halloween is going to disappear because I did that. So how do I navigate things like that where the culture is manifesting in a way, but I'm called to be a salt and light anyway. Shunning the culture and hiding away isn't going to work. Salt is no good if it just stays in our kitchens. Light is no good, Jesus says, if you hide it under a bowl. So you got to get out there. But then the second thing that might hinder our being proper salt and light the way Jesus wants us to be is looping back to something we said from the theologian Richard Mao, and that is the temptation that when we're in the world, we're ever and only negative. Mm-hmm. We're ever and only wagging fingers in people's faces. We're in the prophetic voice only. You're wrong. You're bad. You're evil. You're going to hell. So if we're in the world only as a negative presence— I don't think that's what Jesus had in mind either in terms of being salt and light. So when I went to community college, there was a guy who used to go on campus. He had a hat on and said, don't sin. And he had a big sign and he would stand up on this little pedestal and he would say, you're all going to hell. You're all going to hell, this and that. And he well, got a lot of opposition from people at that time. And he walked away thinking, oh, they're persecuting me for because of righteousness. But actually, I think that that was the extreme you're talking about, where his presentation, it wasn't winsome and it wasn't seasoned with salt. I think he thought because he was teaching fire and brimstone right. that he was going to convict people. And maybe that would have worked for some. But there is another way to go about this that doesn't have to send everybody to hell in a handbasket, doesn't have to condemn everybody. There's a winsome way to do this. And Paul, the apostle, has plenty of ways that he did that didn't go that way. We could learn a lot from that. Sometimes my wife and I are in Chicago or in some bigger city. You'll see those street preachers, you know, standing on a turned over five gallon plastic <laughs> pail and screaming damnation at everybody. Every once in a while, my wife will say, uh, do you ever think they're right? Maybe that's how we're supposed to be. And it's like, well, I hope not. Uh, I don't think so. Uh, they're doing what they think is right, um, and they are bearing witness in their own way. But I think, uh, right, winsomeness. Or, you know, we talked about this in another program on Groundwork a while back from First Peter, you know, where Peter says, look, always be ready to give a defense of your faith, but you do it politely. Right. You do it with respect treat people well. And that's the priestly function. If it's the prophetic function to always be wagging fingers and announcing damnation, the priestly function, Mao said, Richard Mao said, is important too. And you know what? Jesus was the perfect prophet, priest, and king. Right. And if Jesus is calling us to a difficult balancing act here, and I think he is, being salt and light, Jesus is himself our model. Jesus did it. And he showed us the way to do it. Did you ever notice that he never interrupts a Pharisee, Hmm. even though they're dead wrong sometimes? He'll wait till they're finished talking and then he'll correct them in a way that is actually honest and authentic. And and sometimes when we share our faith, we haven't been as polite or we haven't been as uh, respectful in that way. But being a salt and the light the way Jesus showed us is something that the Holy Spirit can give us the power to do. So sometimes we're afraid 
because, hey, listen, I don't want to be persecuted. I don't want to go through hard times. I don't want people to corner me with questions I can't answer. But the Holy Spirit is actually the, the one you could ask to help you to become the power and the witness to be able to be that salt and light. So we do have help, even though we're out here trying to do it. We have the spirit of Jesus within us. And Jesus, uh, people liked Jesus. They were attracted to him. Jesus was aware of every sin around him. But he wasn't grumpy. He wasn't the world's biggest crank. People invited him to weddings and parties right. and dinners. Sinners were attracted to him. So Jesus knew how it was to be salt and light. He was himself. It wasn't easy, but he did it. And now he shares with us his Holy Spirit that he sent to us on Pentecost so that by the grace of that spirit, we too can be salt and light, bringing out life's beauty, showing people the right way to live, helping them to give glory to our Father in heaven for what they see. Thanks be to God. Well, thanks for listening and digging deeply into Scripture with Groundwork. We're your host, Daryl Delaney with Scott Jose, and we hope you'll join us again as we seek to gain a better understanding of God's law in our lives by studying what Jesus thought and taught about God's law in the Sermon on the Mount. Connect with us at groundworkonline.com to share what Groundwork means to you or to tell us what you'd like to hear discussed next on Groundwork. Groundwork is a listener-supported program produced by Reframe Ministries. Visit reframeministries.org for more information. Our recording engineer is Dodd Morris, and our post-production supervisor is John Reeder. Our senior producer is Courtney Jacob.